Welcome to KPOV's Critical Conversations podcast, dedicated to featuring unique perspectives, challenging mundane thought, and questioning the norm. Listen at kpov.org, on YouTube, or on your favorite podcast app. Today, we're continuing our conversation about a crisis in Bend. You know, obviously, it's a shortage of affordable housing, as we all know. Lynn, can you give us a picture of what Bend is currently facing? Just give us an overview. Good morning, Jackie. Yes, Bend residents are facing increasing prices for housing, which is really just based on a shortage of housing. Um, We are not building fast enough to keep up with the demand um, from folks who are forming new households here, whether it's kids moving out of their parents' basement (laughs) or uh, new folks moving to town. So data show that we're underbuilding for every income level, including the very highest income levels in bed, and that that demand is concentrated at our lowest income levels around the, the what folks can afford if they're making minimum wage. That's where the biggest demand um, and, and mismatch is. Um, so it's real challenging for those, those people who are earning minimum wage. And yet some of the jobs that I'm seeing are definitely higher, but I don't even think that that higher rate of 22 or $23 an hour is allowing them to purchase a home or find a reasonable rent price. Is that true? That's absolutely true. And I think, you know, the way I like to explain it to folks is if there are two homes available on the, or one home available on the market and two people who are interested in it, most likely that's going to go to the person who can give the most money for that home. And so what we have is this, you know, supply shortage that's really causing increased prices. And it's such a deep supply shortage that it is for every income level in Bend, even the highest incomes sometimes don't get what they want because we don't have it or they're paying more than they would have wanted. Um, but again, that, that shortage is concentrated within our workforce generally. Um, and the, the lower amount of money you make, the harder it's going to be. That's true. That's and and true. I, I, if I can just add this, Mike sure. Riley, um, I, um, you know, three different examples. I have a friend who um, owns a small um, internal medicine practice in Bend and has had four different medical assistants leave their practice recently in the last month or so. And generally speaking, a lot of it has to do with affordability in the region. We recently had an employee who basically felt she couldn't afford to live in Central Oregon at my, where I work at the Environmental Center has moved back to Eugene, Springfield. Um, and we went into a restaurant here in Bend the other night and basically the answer was, we can't seat you for two hours because we're so understaffed right now. And I think part of that's a seasonal change perhaps happening this time of year, but you know, those are those are that lower income workers, right, that are probably making that, that round $20 an hour and they, and they just can't afford to live here. Yeah, so I know. It's, it's, and a, it's a real challenge for a whole bunch of reasons. Absolutely. And meanwhile, there's a lot of people who want to be here, mm-hmm. right? A lot of demand for people to move to our community. And so you put those two things together and it really adds up to a real problem. And I think that's where education, you know, about our, our affordability issues is really significantly important. And we're also, uh, you know, with the number of homes available, Lynn, you were talking about the shortage of homes, and our community is really impacted by actions from the state, too, and our legislature and the governor. And it's the governor's goal to build, I thought this was amazing, 36,000 homes per year in Oregon. It's in Oregon, not in Central Oregon, to address the housing shortage 
shortage and increasing cost. And recently, just a couple days ago, there was an article in the bulletin on the barriers identified by the Governor's Housing Production Advisory Council. I had to write that down so I could really say it the right way. <laughs> the barriers included shortage of construction workers, uh, cumbersome permit requirements, which we'll talk about, um, because that requires more time, it lengthens the process, and thus increases the cost. A shortage of land, and that's where we're going to talk about urban growth boundary, and restrictive state land use laws, you know, that were decided, what, 40 years ago? Yeah, 50 years ago. 50. And they felt these barriers restrict the building of homes which are needed to keep the pace with growth. So, Mike, since Ben, Mike, you're on the hot seat now. (laughs) Since Ben went through the process of expanding the urban growth boundaries in 2016, does our community offer a model? for the state to consider when addressing housing shortages. Because what I understand from my research, and Mm -hmm. I'm learning a lot, is that a lot of efforts and a lot of planning was done. Mm -hmm. And so um, you address the issues of a shortage of land to build on. And then in, I think it was 2020, there was some decision to to expand a, a law that that came through. We talked about that with yeah. Ms. Visser from the yeah. from your office, Lynn. Yeah, yeah. So can we provide a model, do you think? Well, I think, you know, the urban growth boundary expansion stuff, certainly, um, you know, we got a lot of recognition, Ben did across the state. This is before I was on the council, but I was involved in that process um, as a citizen. Um, we got a lot of recognition for that expansion process. We The city originally proposed about an 8,000 acre expansion. Um, we ended up with about 23 three to 2400 acre expansion um it was adopted in 2016 finally after many many years um and that had a combination of you know we 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 said we were going to do a lot more infill within the community and we have these areas identified for expansion i think the challenge you know with that um model is um every community is so different in terms of what their needs are and all that that's a little bit harder in terms of um, can we be a model the process was good we had a lot of stakeholder involvement so that we had real buy-in um, when we got to what was actually proposed to the city council um, and it passed you know and was supported um, that i think where the model maybe is more relevant now is some of the stuff that the city has done the last several years um, there was a um, expansion on the east side of town um, called there, there's two different pieces to it, but it's the Stevens Road area between it's on 27th, just east of 27th, between essentially Reed Market and where the road department is at the county. Um, and the second piece of that that's a little farther east, when the city um, through a piece of legislation that was passed brought that in um, for for expansion and eventually development, um, it's it's really a complete community, meaning that there's a mix of both housing types as well as parks, as well as some commercial area. Um, there's um, some requirements about the amount of affordable housing that needs to go in there. And I think actually what you're seeing in the Housing Production Advisory Council recommendation is kind of a model that's based on what Ben did. And I think that's really how we're setting an example for other parts of the state. So hopefully the bill that shows up there was a bill in the last legislative session that kind of got at this idea. It died at the end of the session. The governor was supportive of it um, <clears throat> towards the end of the session. I think it's some version of is likely to move forward next session. If that occurs, 
we really at the city think that it needs to be modeled after what we did here in Benton. So, you know, as I said, complete communities, parks, trails, open space, um, commercial development, all that, and requirements for affordable housing. And that's what you're hearing in the, the recommendation from the advisory council is about 30% of the homes would need to be deed-restricted affordable housing. So I think that's where Bend is perhaps providing the most important model for the state right now because we moved that through really quickly. There was another piece of legislation that allowed some expansion, but it took a really long time. The other thing I want to throw in is that um, on the council, we also continue to really make the point that we also need support at the local level for infrastructure funding. For example, the southeast part of town is kind of in the same area, just um, sort of across 27th to the west from the, the landfill. Um, we have a big pump station we need to build down there. It's going to cost $16 million for the sewer system, and it's a real obstacle. And, um, you know, there are ways to get that covered through development, but it adds so much more cost that it just makes it more and more difficult. So the state is serious about following through on the 36,000 units per year in the places that we identify at the local level. We really need them to help us with the infrastructure costs to buy down the cost of those developments and get them to move faster. And we're hopeful that we'll get that 16 million in this next session. Um, to help us in that area, but it's something that needs to be done across the whole state because infrastructure is part of the, the challenge financially, and, and it's critical. We have to have roads, sewer, water, transportation. We don't schools as well, right? But I think we have maybe the school picture largely taken care of with we have at least the land for schools down there. The school district does. They still have to get built, um, but super important. Yeah, planning ahead is important. Jackie, yeah. you had something you wanted to say? Yeah, one of the barriers that you mentioned, and of course that we're talking about now, is the shortage of construction workers. Yeah, There's a lot of work to be done. And I'm wondering, some cities are working with the school districts and the colleges to create trade schools. Uh, Is that something that we're considering, like teaching kids in 11th and 12th grade how to do some of this work and having them go on that path as opposed to a college path? There is a greater focus on career and technical education in the schools in general um, and trying to make that focus. I think that's really important. I'm I'm honestly not aware of exactly what the school district is doing there, and I think the role of a city is really to be supportive of that, but it's not our primary focus as an entity. I think that is more about the local community college and the local school district. Um, The community college is a place where that kind of education is generally happening, not so much the four-year universities. And I do want to say, I know that the college works jointly with high schools, both in yeah. Red, Redmond and Lapine, and there's apprenticeship programs. They've just appointed a new apprenticeship coordinator. So the community college has been involved with this for a long time. I and think, Yeah, go well, ahead. Well, telling Mike. that story about for young people, what what are career path options? I do think we've been very focused on you need to go to college, and that's, of course, can be a very important good solution for people and we know the data shows if you have a college education you generally have better economic outcomes just like if you have a high school diploma but but i think we need to tell better stories for kids to see themselves in different pathways absolutely i think that's part of the challenge absolutely so we've been talking about providing housing now let's shift to affordability Uh, last month we ran out of time to highlight what the city is doing to support affordable housing The city is moving forward and taking advantage of the expanded growth boundary and the 2021 law. Um, And so we have talked a little bit about the median home price. Median home price right now is over 800,000, correct? It's right around 800, yeah. And so how, how much would a family need to earn 
to afford to purchase a house in Bendigo? Uh, quite a bit more than our median family does right now. So right now, for a household of four in Bend, the median income is just over $95,000. And what that buys you um, is roughly 343000 for ownership or, you know, according to sort of a gross estimate of 30% of your of your income paid towards housing costs, you could also, in theory, pay about 2300 for rent each month. Um, so with an ownership buying value of 343 and home prices, you know, pretty much double that. We can uh, do the math. Yeah, yeah <laughs> we're, we're way with mismatched right oh, now. Oh, yeah, Abs- absolutely. So I know that many of the projects you talked about when you were on last month were ar- around rentals. And so what we're looking at is many of the people who live here, and the dream is to own a home, Mm -hmm. but they're looking in reality at the possibility of needing to rent, correct? Correct. And we're seeing that shift really nationwide with interest rates making it a lot more challenging to buy. Your your money just does not go as far when the interest rate is where it is right now as it did a number of years ago. You, You could buy a lot more house before. Um, so the good news is we are really working on creating a pipeline of rental to ownership in the city of Bend. Our goal generally in this last biennium was to create a thousand affordable units, affordable to folks making well under median income in Bend. We got very close to that goal by hitting 886 affordable units that were permitted, funded, or completed in the last two years. Um, that is a substantial increase over where we had been, and, and we know that that means it will have a number more units coming online in the near term as they're developed. In addition, for shelters, because that is a critical challenge with the housing crisis, is that folks are pushed out of their ability to afford housing and become houseless. And we uh, had a goal of 500 shelter beds and were able to exceed that. At the end of the year, we had 529. So we are very much working at creating that pipeline the whole way up for folks who are struggling um, and finding ways to move into ownership as well as rental. I know. And my, um, you know, now, now let's move on to projects. Um, so, Mike, could you tell us about the projects that are currently happening and those planned for the future to make housing more affordable, anything beyond what Lynn had just mentioned? And also, what is the city and the council doing or have done to help people buy homes and find affordable places to live? Um, well, a couple things. I mean, I, maybe I'll do a little bit of a high-level points and let Lynn actually talk about specific projects just because she knows the details of them even better than I do. Um, and, um, you know, as the, the city at the policy level, which is where the council's working, I mean, there's a variety of things that we can do. We try to make sure that, um, you know, one, we're dealing with some of the permitting stuff that you've heard from the Housing Production Council. There's a whole bunch of work that our staff did working in partnership with the development community. Like, what are the issues? How can we get those solved? Um, and kind of set up, okay, here's the five or seven things we're working on, um, and here's the timeline. I think uh, part of it is that we're, we are fully kind of staffed again now after all the challenges that came with the pandemic, and so we're starting to see the permit times come back down to all the targets that we've set in, in partnership with the development community. That's one. Um, we d- can do things around incentives. So, for example, we have a multi-unit property tax exemption um, that um, – 
basically assist financially developers if, if they're going to do um, affordable stuff and especially deed restrictive it, it helps them um, actually do uh, do projects financially we partner with um, organizations like um, rooted homes it used to be called core community land, land trust or housing works to make projects happen some of the listeners may have heard about a project that will be coming soon on simpson avenue between 14th and mount washington drive over there on the kind of the north side of the osu campus um that's a joint project that we have done a variety of things um to assist that development and also provided some funding for we do provide some direct funding through a um a a small fee that we collect um and bend was actually one of the first cities to implement it in the state um and um, that helps fund it's part of the package for a variety of, of housing projects across the community and then we do similar stuff with um Houselessness, and Lynn talked about you know what we've done with helping um, create uh, more beds and stuff. So if you want to talk maybe about a couple specific examples, yeah. So it, we're really excited about that Simpson development. I mean, that really does exemplify that path, as mm-hmm. I just mentioned, from rental into homeownership, really all on one site. And what's also exciting about that is the partnership that we had from the county and others mm-hmm. to really bring that forward. That is a surplus property that the county found um, at our request. Come to the table and help us figure this out. And they they found that land and that's going to become about 100 homes for Bend residents, which is really, really cool. And I think that surplusing land is one I forgot to mention that, you know, government land in that example was county, but <clears throat> there are places where we own land that we can we can put out onto the market and make it available for affordable housing projects. That's right. And Council Riley, we actually have two parcels yeah, out on right, the market right, right now, now for mm-hmm. folks to apply and tell us, what can you do on these on these properties? If we were to sell them to you at our cost, how many folks can you house and what does that look like? And and, w- and would that go to a developer? Typically, yeah. So okay. we have a public process, of course. We're public entity. Anytime we want to dispose of land or provide funding, we have a process. So folks can apply and, and know the rules and, and give us their best. And what we look for, and folks can watch this, too, at our Affordable Housing Advisory Committee next month. Um, folks will bring their proposals for how they can get this done. And the goal is always, how quickly can we build? with the most experienced development team that we can find um, for the least amount of money to the city and uh, the most benefit to our residents. So typically that means either a very large number of homes for the site, what's possible, or the most affordability possible. We're also looking for really cool ways to benefit the community with those developments. For instance, we help support a development up off of Tucson Avenue or Connors and 27th, that is a joint senior housing development along with a mosaic medical clinic. And that clinic is available and open to the public as well. So it's, it's a very good service. We've interviewed them and yeah, they really are offering great resources. Exactly. Yeah. So when we can provide that sort of larger community benefit through the affordable housing development so we're able to construct, it's really a win-win for everybody. Well, you know, in the last couple of minutes, what is the best way for the community members and interested individuals to stay up to date on the city growth and affordability? You know, maybe offer their thoughts or concerns or suggestions. We have just about a minute. Um, I mean, I'd encourage people to to pay attention to the council agenda. Um, You know, some agendas are pretty light. And, um, you know, next week we're going to be getting an update on the tree code during our work session, which is generally between five and seven on the first and third Wednesday of the month. And then during the regular meeting, we're going to ha- we have an application before us a math for a master plan in one of the targeted growth expansion areas um, 
up just north of Target and Home Depot and all that on the north end of town. Um, so you can you can watch what's happening there. Um, there will be an opportunity for comment. Lynn, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I'd love for folks to come in addition to the Affordable Housing yeah, Advisory yeah. Committee mm-hmm. um, as well. And that it, you can find info at bendoregon.gov slash affordable housing. Thank you for listening to KPOV's Critical Conversations podcast. To hear weekly interviews on important topics, please visit kpov.org slash critical conversations and follow KPOV High Desert Community Radio on Facebook, YouTube, and your favorite podcast app.